0: Thank you for listening to the Detroit Evening Report Weekend, where unlike DER during the week, where we focus on the news of the day, we focus on the people and places that make Detroit truly special. We have with us today Nargis Rahman. Hey, Nargis. Hi, Sasha. Listeners will be very familiar with you as one of the hosts of DER during the week, but that's not all you do. You work on lots of other stories. Tell
1: us about some of the things you've been working on. So one of the recent stories I've been working on is about Polish American Heritage Month, which is in October, and we have about 900,000 Polish Americans living in Michigan. So I think that's super cool.
0: That is super cool. And so much a part of our uh, local identity, our Polish community. So... Tell me a little bit
1: about what we're going to listen to today. So today we'll be listening to a story about the Council on American Islamic Relations, which filed a lawsuit that is federal against 29 government entities um, calling the watch list unconstitutional and asking why it's there in the first place and why there are a disproportionate number of American Muslims on the watch list. According to the CARE National Litigation Director and General Counsel, Lena Musri, 98% of the names on the watch list are Muslim Americans. And part of the problem is that people don't know how they got on the watch list and can't figure out how to get off if they feel like they were unfairly targeted. So Lena Musri used to be the CARE Michigan staff attorney. So she'll be talking to us about... What she's observed as her time in the local chapter and how this has kind of evolved into a a federal and national problem. Okay, well, let's listen.
2: I joined Care Michigan as a staff attorney in 2009. At that time, there was very little that was known publicly about the watch list, if anything. There wasn't much published at that time. Nobody was talking about it. But because there is such a large concentration of Muslims in eastern Michigan, we were constantly, every three days, every three days, I would get another case of somebody who was asked religious questions because they're crossing from Canada into the United States. They get stopped every single time they cross the border and asked how many times a day do you pray? Which masjid do you pray in? And these questions, they're very, they're designed to bring out information about how religious these people are. It raised the question, how is it possible that the same person is being asked and treated the same way every time they cross the border? Is that every time they are surrounded by guns, being drawn and pointed in their direction, handcuffed, taken to secondary and subjected to hours of religious questioning for these people? We would file DHS-TRIP inquiry for them because that was all that was available for anybody that was having issues while traveling. I started noticing that these people, as we start to file for the travel-related issues, all of a sudden their immigration applications would start processing. Or if they were to refile for global entry, then that would finally go through. At that time, it was Trying to piece together all of these different secret methods that the government was using to target individuals. And that is how we started to understand the watch list. What is DHS Trip? DHS Trip is an inquiry that the government claims is is the one mechanism that is available to challenge your status on the watch list. But in reality, it is only available for travelers. The government does some secret check in the background and reports back... Usually with a form letter that says really nothing, it says we can neither confirm nor deny whether you're on the watch list. But if you were on it by mistake, we've taken steps to, to fix it. But for people that are on the watch list that are that have not traveled, for example, but have been impacted by the watch list by having their bank accounts shut down or their immigration applications stuck in administrative processing forever, they don't have any mechanism available to them.
1: CARE has filed a lawsuit in the past against the watch list. Tell me about that lawsuit. Our first lawsuit that we filed was Sherry v.
2: Mueller. This is a lawsuit that we filed in the Eastern District of Michigan. It was based on the religious questioning of American Muslims that was being done by both Customs and the FBI, and it was being done against people who are on the watch list.
1: How did people find out that they were on the watch list.
2: Some of our clients found out that they're on the watch list when they are when two customs officers board their flight after they get onto it and they're ready to take off, and literally will pull them off the flight. And take them to secondary inspection and and grill them and ask them religious questioning for hours, and they miss the flight altogether. On the other hand, the very typical experience would be they are not able to check in when they first try to check in, and they are directed to an airline representative. That airline representative is not able to print their boarding pass and is directed to contact the terrorist screening center to obtain clearance from the government to allow that person to board the plane. And they have to go through this process every single time they fly. How has the watch list impacted people from the Michigan Muslim communities? The watch list has heavily impacted the Muslim community as a whole in Michigan. I used to lecture all over the state um, when I was the legal director at Care Michigan. And every time I spoke about the watch list, I used to ask the people in the room, how many of you have either been on the watch list are on the watch list or know somebody that's on the watch list and every time at least 80 percent of the people in the room would raise their hands.
1: Why was the watch list created and what can you tell me
2: about it now? The watch list is a tool that the government is using to collect surveillance uh, information against against the Muslim community. Every single time that somebody is on the watch list, it is actually custom and border protection policy to uh, seize the devices, the electronic devices, of people that are on the watch list that are crossing the border. So this is by air or by land, and the information is downloaded. And the information that they obtain can be used to initiate investigations or to add other people onto the watch list. Right now, it is estimated that there are more than 1.8 million people on the watch list. Earlier this year, we obtained leaked copies of the watch list, specifically the selectee list and the no-fly list, combined to the number of names that we have from 2019 on the watch list, are about 1.3 million names. And 98.3% of those names are Muslim. Tell me about the current lawsuit filed. We're suing 29 federal government agencies. We are hoping that The United States District Court finds the watch list unconstitutional and ends it. It is illegal. It is discriminatory. It is a tool that is being used to target a single community. The fact that the government is able to target a single group in the way that it is and essentially inflict harm in every aspect of their lives without being checked at all should be terrifying to anybody. If the federal government is able to do this to the Muslim community, it is able to do it to other communities as well. It really flies in the face of democracy. Our country is built on on transparency, on government accountability. What do you hope will come out from this current lawsuit? We believe that the evidence is so overwhelming that we have against the government that we don't need to proceed to trial. We are very hopeful that we would win on summary judgment. And what that means is if we are able to prove the claims that we have alleged in this lawsuit, which would mean that the
0: court would be declaring the watch list unconstitutional. That was Lena Musri, the National Litigation Director for the Council on American Islamic Relations, speaking with Nargis Rahman. So, this interview happened in September. So, this was before the Hamas attack in Israel on October 7th and Israeli military actions that followed. As we prepared this episode of DER Weekends for release, we thought it was important to contact Care Michigan for an update. So I spoke to Amy Duqueray, who is the staff attorney for the Council on American Islamic Relations in Michigan,
3: for an update. Really, too much to update on the lawsuit. Uh, right now, the government is waiting to provide a response. They have 60 days from the date that we filed the um, complaint and they were served with it to file their response. So we're still within that 60 day window. With regards to how um, Muslims are traveling in and out of the country, we um, do know that Muslims are being um, in, in more intensely screened coming from the Middle East, uh, even more so than they were prior to the, the events of, of, of October 7th. So we're seeing more detentions, longer questioning and really just more travel difficulties for Muslims. But more so than that, we're also seeing Muslims having law enforcement interactions within the, within the country, so within their their homes and their businesses, than they normally would um, as a result specifically of what happened on October 7th.
0: What are you seeing broadly in terms of how the Muslim community and we know that Islamophobia um, can also be applied to other communities where people are making assumptions about mm-hmm. who people are. Um, what have you seen since October 7th and in the last few weeks?
3: So, I mean, what we've seen is... is um not being widely reported out. So first of all, thank you for you know taking the time to ask that question. But what we've seen is we've seen people who are Muslim, who are Arab, who are Palestinian, they're being visited by the FBI, or if they're immigrants um, who are not here um, as citizens yet, maybe they're um, here on a student visa or they're refugees, they're being um, called in for ICE questioning. There was a report, a very credible report that a Palestinian immigrant was um, being held by ICE. In Michigan, they were held for five days before they were allowed to have counsel contact them. And while they were being held, they were um, interrogated several times by the FBI, and that was a result of nothing more than their identity as a Palestinian national. So, those are the types of things that we're seeing with law enforcement. Um, We saw um, at Michigan State University over the past week, they had a, a protest where they were approached on several occasions by law enforcement. Um, for questioning about what they were saying. Um, nothing that they were saying was inappropriate. Nothing that they were saying was criminal, but they were being reported by people who didn't like the fact that they had a stance um, in favor of supporting, you know a ceasefire in um, a, a ceasefire in in the Israeli conflict against Palestine. Um, so they were being targeted for harassment, utilizing law enforcement. So those are some of the kinds of things that we're seeing. Um, on the law enforcement ground some other things that we're seeing are we've had students who were suspended from public schools because they've maybe made statements in class or um, you know and during the school day uh, during discussions about this they made they made statements um, pro-palestinian statements and they, they they faced backlash from that Muslims are being um, attacked in Michigan there was an entire threat on the city of Dearborn um, Muslim community as a result of what happened on uh, October 7th and the you know, Islamophobic rhetoric that came out from the media, as well as from individuals following that, that incident. So those are really concerning things that we're seeing going on right now.
0: This is uh, a situation that feels so polar There, there. It feels like, you know, there are two sides and. Often our instinct is to approach it with this kind of can't we all just get along, <laughs> you know, um, kind of way of looking at it. And I, I won't pretend that I don't also have that instinct. <laughs> so I like think that's um, be great if, you know, everybody was just really, really nice. What do you think we should be doing? What should we be talking about? How should we be guiding these discussions? What should we be thinking about as there's no real resolution in sight
3: i think I think it's really, really important for people to take a step back of what their initial visceral response is to what happened on October seventh and look more broadly and more historically at what's taking place in the in that region. And um, you know, I think if everybody, kind of recognizes the humanity of all of the human beings that are involved, you know, on both sides, whether it's Israel or Palestine, people, you know, can come to some resolution about, you know, what's just and what's right. This is a very tense situation that's going on. And there are, you know, two sides to what's going on. And and people should feel safe in 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 the United States to speak out about how they're feeling they should feel safe to you know be able to address their grievances to, with the government that's part of our first amendment right and we just want muslim students and you know muslim citizens to be able to go about their daily lives without you know this fear that that they're going to be you know contacted by law enforcement or they could fe- face some you know, academic or employment repercussions because they've taken uh, a mor- what they consider to be a moral stance um, on the, the bombardment of innocent children and women in Gaza.
0: That was Amy Ducare, who is the staff attorney for the Council on American Islamic Relations in Michigan. So we hear from Lena Mussery about this long-standing concern, issue, of Muslims traveling uh, to and from within America being stopped because they're on this watch list, which they may not even know they're on, and then some new concerns as uh, international tensions have heightened just in the last month. So the issue of discrimination doesn't feel really complicated. But when we have these international discussions and being in a community where those discussions really affect people on a really, really personal level, this is, I think, a really important time to to talk about
1: how we treat each other. But it's definitely not a simple conversation. I think it is a very complicated conversation because on one hand, we see that the American Muslim population has been trying to find ways to, you know, speak up in terms of the discrimination that it's been facing since 9-11. And then with international concerns locally, um, people are feeling like there is an heightened scrutiny and there is heightened tensions, but also a spotlight on what the American Muslim community is doing now and how they're moving in and out of the country once again. So we see in this story that you know the, there is legal action being taken for discrimination against the American Muslim community. However, after that lawsuit was filed, we've seen that there's an uptick of anti-Muslim harassment still happening regardless. And this was happening before the October 7 incident, but particularly has increased after that as well. So people are asking the question of, you know if you're muslim in america or you are arab or palestinian does that does that mean that you can have extra scrutiny pointed at you or does that question of if you're you know protesting against the government in general do you have that heightened scrutiny happening to you are you being harassed and interrogated in the same way it's really striking when you think about 29
0: federal organizations being identified in this lawsuit. So it's not, you know, this is a travel watch list, but it's not just the TSA. It's not, you know, this is 29 organizations. It really makes me think about how the 9-11 attacks helped to create this culture of making Islamophobia policy In the U.S., like really not only just creating Islamophobic policies, but really making it something
1: that we uh, understand and expect and excuse. A lot of American Muslims, according to my reporting, said that after 9-11, they felt like they had to prove themselves to be more American while also apologizing for something that they didn't even do or didn't even claim to, we saw that policies were created that did target American Muslims. And we've seen this in the past with like the Japanese internment camps and with um, other policies that we've had in the past where if if our government was in conflict with another said region or people from a certain background, that the civilians were the ones who were getting the brunt of Force in terms of how we look at that community within our borders. So I think the American Muslim community is going through a similar type of um, scrutiny by the government and American Muslim organizations are trying to figure out what does that look like when we're speaking up for ourselves. The, the, the American Muslim community is so vast and diverse, but in terms of political gains, it's still very young. And this generation, Gen Z, is... Stepping a little bit away from survival in terms of coming here and establishing themselves, especially from immigrant communities. We know that the African-American community has been here, you know, and it's one of the largest in Detroit. But we've seen that American Muslims are entering politics and other fields to be able to correct the record or to get their voice out and have also been elected by the general population. So not just Muslim Americans are voting them in. And so that's why we're seeing like, for example, we have in Dearborn, we have the first Arab American Muslim mayor, Abdullah Hamoud, who is serving the whole population. He's not serving just the American Muslims. It is interesting when you think about
0: having a watch list that is 98 percent of uh, anybody when we have found in the United States that over the last several years, terrorist actions in the U.S. have been committed mostly by white supremacists and people who identify as Christian. I think about this idea of religiosity, judging how religious someone is in order to judge how you should treat them and how um, reasonable it is to discriminate against them. We will certainly... Keep our eye on the lawsuit and see how it progresses. The courts move very slowly, so I don't think we're expecting to hear um, a lot of action on the watch list lawsuit soon. But there are definitely really difficult conversations here that we should have more often, even when we can't have them perfectly. And so we will be looking for opportunities to keep the discussion going. Thank you so much for coming in, Nargis.
1: Thank you, Sasha.
0: And thank you, dear listener, for joining us for the Detroit Evening Report Weekends, where we spend some time with the people and places that make Detroit truly special. If you have some people and places you'd like us to know about, something you think we ought to be talking about, drop us a line at Detroit Evening Report at WDET.org. We'll see you Monday.